0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seeds of humans and the seed of animals. Now God here is speaking to Jeremiah in the midst of devastation. Jeremiah has seen his kin and his country destroyed. He's been weeping over their loss. Now, here in the U.S., we've seen national tragedy on a scale a little bit smaller than that. I want to quote Dr. Will Gaffney as she says, Here in the United States, those who have survived the attack on Pearl Harbor or the attacks in the World Trade Center will have experienced some of what the citizens of Judah saw and felt. However, in neither case did the U.S. government or even those of the states of Hawaii or New York fall. In fact, in both cases, governmental Religious and social organizations responded immediately, demonstrating the preservation of American institutional life. But for Jeremiah, the cities were destroyed. The king had fled and caught and was now on his way to Babylon. The people that are left there are scrambling to find food, shelter, water, maybe to find some relatives that live out in the middle of nowhere to go and live with to survive. But in the midst of all this, God is promising to his people that he's still with them, that he continues to walk with them, and that the day will come when his people will be back in their own land and prosper again. It's easy to read these promises and look ahead to the Gospels. We see the hope there. But before Jesus came, God had told his people that they would be back. In those days they shall no longer say, parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. God's saying here that he's no longer going to hold us responsible for the sins of our parents and grandparents because in the law in the past the way that God dealt with them it says he led them by the hand by acting like a husband to his people. Leading someone by the hand is a very intimate gentle thing right? You don't lead someone you don't like by the hand to safety. Maybe you push them ahead of you and say, go that way, or follow me and keep running. But they've strayed. They've strayed in their brokenness. And God's response is to show them more mercy. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God's going to change the way that he interacts with them and they interact with him. The requirements are going to be different now. But How? And God said, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The same God who led them by the hand out of captivity, who said he was like their husband, was going to write his law in their hearts and change the way they interact with him. Oh, how I love your law. All the day long, it's in my mind. Now, we're in the middle of Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It's 176 verses. It's 176 verses that extol the law. And we're in a portion right now where each of the sections is about eight verses or poetry. And each one starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you read the whole psalm in one sitting, you start to feel repetitive. The psalmist really loves the law. The psalmist is looking at the law of Moses as the way he will learn and will continue to live rightly. He just doesn't read and forget. He meditates on God's word. And unlike the elders, he not only knows God's word, he lives it. He understands its value. How sweet are your words to my taste. They're sweeter than honey to my mouth. He just doesn't value God's laws in abstraction. He does his best to live it practically. For him, it's the stuff of life, not just somewhere where he goes for a few hours on the Sabbath. And he cannot understand why his fellow people of God aren't as excited by the laws he is. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We find Timothy being instructed to also follow in God's word. It's, he's, he's being written to and being told that the same faith and the same teaching that he learned from his grandmother and from his mother, from Paul and Silas, just to continue in it. He's known God's law since his childhood. He knows how to live it. But here, Timothy is being encouraged to persevere in the face of the trials that he's going through. And then he writes, All scripture is inspired by God it is is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The purpose of scripture is simple. To teach us how to grow closer to God, by teaching us, by correcting us, by training us, by reminding us how to live. And the charge written to Timothy here is oh so very simple proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, encourage with the utmost patience and teaching. Timothy's job, my job today, is simply to continue to teach and train proclaiming the good news wherever we are and whatever we're doing with the utmost patience in teaching. That's important because we all don't learn at the same rate, and some of us have to have the same lesson being given over and over and over again until we understand it, until we're able to live it. But it's not just my job. All of us should be encouraging and loving each other with words as needed as St. Francis once wrote. he will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Because if we're not full of God and of his word and of the spirit, other things will come in and try to fill in the gaps. It happens in our lives all the time. We're also to do the work of an evangelist, sharing God's love with those around us. When we get to our gospel this morning, it says this. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Now, I feel like I'm a broken record at this point. Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time before the resurrection. However, they're getting closer. By the end of this chapter, we get to the outskirts of Jericho, and Jericho is about 25 miles from Jerusalem, It's taking Jesus a long time, at least in our readings over the last few weeks to get here. But here we read that after he heals the lepers, and after the discussion right after that with the Pharisee about the end, he encouraged his disciples to continue to pray. And the parable here is simple. It's one that we can understand. It's one that a lot of us have lived in miniature, right? Now, I had a couple of stories that I could have told to start the sermon this morning about my utter frustration at the DMV, right? About dealing with government employees that just don't care. Mercy was not in their vocabulary. They were going to do the job the way it was written and didn't care who I was or what the circumstances were. But I thought that telling them would be uncharitable. But I would guess that if we sat around and talked this morning, many of you would have some too. At the DMV, at the IRS, at other places. We've all met them. Jesus said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. Now, most of us, again, have met officials who don't fear God or man. They do what they want. They do exactly what the rules say, no more no less. And sometimes when it's in the pursuit of justice, we see that as an admirable quality, right? Someone who can come in and clean up a corrupt justice system. But here, he's the one who's maybe corrupt or not timely or at the very least doesn't care about the people he's serving. The widow is crying out to the judge and crying out for justice the only way that she can, directly to the judge. Now, we don't know exactly what the situation is. Does she need support from her family or her husband's family for basic needs? Does she need the law to do its job to protect her from someone who wants to do her wrong? The need's never explained, it doesn't have to be. We've all seen these situations. But she's relentless in her pursuit. Eventually the judge just throws up his hands and realizes that he needs to take care of the widow because otherwise he's not getting a moment's rest. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus ends by asking if he will find faith when he returns. And the answer in Luke's gospel is yes. But not from the people we expect it, right? Now we do find some faithful, healthy children of God. But I'm not the first person to point out that in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is marveling or commending faith, It tends not to be those people. It's people like the centurion who believes Jesus will heal his slave from a distance. Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house, say the words, and it's done. The sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet and loves him very much. The friends of the paralytic who are willing to climb up on a roof with their friend, dig through the ceiling and the roof of that house and lower him down just so Jesus can touch him. The Samaritan leper, the outsider, whose gratitude turns him back to Jesus where he falls at his feet in thanksgiving. And a little bit later in this chapter, there'll be a blind beggar who sees Jesus for who he is, even though he's blind, and calls out to him. Just like this woman, to the point where he can't ignore the blind man. But here's the good news. Jesus says God is not the unjust judge. He cares for us. He loves us. He's without partiality. Now, his timing is not always our timing, which at times can be frustrating and scary. But we know he loves us and that he wants what's best for us. And we are called to persevere in our prayers and in our faith. And we know with the assurance that the love the Father has given us is there, not only for us, but for everyone in the world. So let us be evangelists and share that love with everyone we meet. Amen.